Hello and welcome to this edition of Community Connections. I'm your host, Chuck Curlin. Today, our connection is with the Clean Air Council. And from the Clean Air Council is the Deputy Director, Eric Chung. Eric, welcome to the program. Hi, Chuck. Thank you. Well, Eric, I guess Clean Air Council, what would actually that detail? What is it about? How to get started? Sure. Um, Clean Air Council is a nonprofit environmental group that was started in 1967. Um, it was basically an offshoot of, um, if you've heard of the American Lung Association, yes. they had like predecessor organizations, and I forget exactly what they were called, but every county at that point had their own version of it. Um, and it was like the five counties in southwest, uh, southeast Pennsylvania, plus some counties in South Jersey, got together and th they were dealing with respiratory diseases and they realized air pollution is a, is a cause of or exacerbates respiratory, di respiratory diseases. And each of them, since they're county level, they could not address the issue of air pollution alone. So they're like, we need a regional entity to focus on this. So we're gonna pull our resources, all these five counties and counties in New Jersey, to form um, the cleaner council, essentially what we're called today. And initially they had like, I think it was called Easter seals or Christmas seals. Mm -hmm. They would use part of those proceeds to establish sort of our funds that allowed the council to get off the ground. But they were highly like in control of the organization as, by being on our board. And when we started in 1967, we had, I think it was two employees and like a, a budget of forty dollars or $50,000, um, which today it's, it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I handle like the payroll, so I know like the, how large our staff is. It's about 35, 40 people. And our budget now is $3 million. So it's grown in 50 years. Yes. Um, so yeah. And, I also just, just you know, it's not like I, I, I know this history, not because I've been here for <laughs> working here for 50 years, but because I am like the unofficial historian at the council. I did the research and I figured out like how he came into being. So this is like, I'm the best person to ask about this. That's perfect. Well, you have the title of deputy director. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you didn't come in as the deputy director. No. So how did you get involved and how did you become who you are today as a deputy director? Um, so. I graduated from law school in 2000, so I'm a lawyer by train, um, training. And initially, I worked for a, a law firm, a big law firm in the city. Mm -hmm. And in 2001, um, I made the switch to, in the law firm, I was working in a non, uh, sorry, in the environmental department. So I was doing environmental law, and the environment has always been my passion. Um, I was doing environmental law, but on behalf of corporations, okay. and sort of, in my mind, perhaps not the side, not that I did anything, like, I wasn't, you know, I feel like it's important for corporations to be represented and to have guidance on how they should comply with environmental laws. But I did want to be on the side of the activists. So 2001, I moved over to the Clean Air Council. I started as staff attorney. Um, I went to Villanova for my undergrad. So I have accounting background at Villanova. I was a business major back then. Mm -hmm. So um, this is just normal in nonprofits. You kind of kind of go with the flow. Like it's, there's no clear career traje trajectory at a nonprofit, a small nonprofit like that. So um, when there was an opening um, in an administrative capacity or our accountants left, I took over that while still doing sort of program work and became like this hybrid attorney comptroller is what I called myself. And eventually having the skills of understanding sort of our program side and um, the accounting financial side, it just became natural that um, I would end up becoming the deputy director Deputy director is second, second in command. If um, for some reason my executive director is unable to, um, either he's out of the office or unable to do 
his duties, then I just take over for that. Okay. And I help him with management um, issues with the staff. So, do you do some of the HR as well? Like, do you do some yeah. of the hiring? Yeah. So um, I started out doing as a staff attorney. Actually, the early years when I when I early years for me when I began at the council, we actually didn't have a lot of funding for litigation. So I did a little bit of legal work, but what we were funded for was program work, and I, I worked on. It was called the Clean Cars Campaign to try to like um, get regulations or laws passed that would help um, promote cleaner vehicles in Pennsylvania. I started doing that pro- programmatically, um, then moved over to the administrative stuff, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, now we actually have a thriving legal practice, which I wish we had at that time because I, I could have stayed with legal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that. Um, Sorry, I, I, I lost the train of thought. Um, what was your question again? Yeah, that's why I thought because of, uh, especially with the, the a council, clean air council, you would think it'd be pro bono. You wouldn't think they'd actually have a, their own legal staff. That We some... have a lot of funding. We're actually really lucky now. We, we have a thriving legal practice, six or seven attorneys. I do remember now. Um, my role now as deputy director is frankly to do everything, like I, if you know base basketball references, yes. like the Scottie Pippen. Like, yes. I, like I'm filling in all the gaps that, are not my strengths for my boss, whereas he's strong with um, setting like sort of the the policy and the mission and and guiding being the voice and the face of the the council, mm-hmm. um, and as well as the fundraising. I'm handling everything else, the financial financial side. I am the HR director. That's like part of my role now, which um, with now a staff of forty people, that's a lot. That's pretty time consuming. Um, I also am the liaison with our board of directors. Um, so yeah, everything that's sort of internal to the operations of the council is under my like bailiwick. Gotcha. Well, as you mentioned, 35 to 40 employees. Give us an idea of like, what, what are some of the responsibilities of some of these employees in terms of, are they out promoting clean air? Are they yeah. dealing with corporations to shut down certain things that might work against clean air? You know what I'm saying? Like you, when you look at this staff, you're saying, all right, what are four, where, why do you need 40 people? I guess okay. that's the, the bottom line. Yeah. Um, so we've grown, we, do we definitely have Departments, um, this might be more internal, like what we call them as departments, but we have a legal team mm-hmm. of, like I said, six or seven attorneys who are actually full-time attorneys practicing environmental law, doing like what you were talking about, sort of Aaron Brockovich style. Yes. Like we would, we do sue um, large polluters. Mm-hmm. Primary, primarily our lawsuits, though, are directed at um, the state and the federal government because we feel as an organization, and by the way, we're statewide, we're not, um, we're not national. We're not like a lot of the other environmental groups that have chapters all around. We, are, we were formed in Pennsylvania, a little bit of focus on Jersey and Delaware as well, but primarily in Pennsylvania as a Pennsylvania entity um, that does not have anyone else. We don't have any national organization that can support us. We have to raise our own funds. From a statewide perspective, because we can't, we can't, there's no way we could possibly like sue every single polluter out there. Right. We want to make systematic changes in the in the state. So it's more making sure that the entity that's really supposed to be safeguarding our environment is the state environmental protection agency, and at the federal level, the environmental protection agency, the EPA. So we sue them if they're not complying with environmental laws. If we feel like they're not doing enough to enforce. But again, we will step in when there's an egregious polluter that we think we can make a like make a difference yeah. with. Um, in our area in Philadelphia, it would be Sunoco, okay. and we do a lot in the Pittsburgh area as well. Uh, you, you mentioned funds. Uh, how difficult it is to raise the funds to keep the organization, uh, I guess, fisc- fiscally sound? Um, I think it's difficult. I think that, like I said, we since we are self, um, 
we're self-reliant. We always, every year, as my boss says, we have to raise our budget each year. Um, in terms of our breakdown, I think at the moment, most of our funding is coming from foundations. We have a number of large foundation grants um, from across the state that supports our work. Um, we do get some government contracts as well. We do, we, we're trying, we, we rely on membership um, from our private donors, like hopefully viewers, like uh, your viewers, that can help support us because that, that, we call those kind of general funds that we can use it for anything. Like whereas foundation grants, they, we, we have very specific things that we're supposed to work on. But general unrestricted funding, we can use for anything. Anytime an issue that we didn't expect arises, we can sort of jump on that. And, you know, while we have maybe like 20%, 25% of our revenues coming from um, general support, we would like to see more of that. So, yeah, we definitely could, <laughs> we definitely could um, use some support from your viewers. I wanted to jump back. Um, so besides the legal department, because I'm an attorney, I often will focus on them, but I don't want to um, be amiss and not uh, be... I miss it not ex explaining Explain the other the staff as well. Um, we have a lot of programmatic staff out there too, who their primary job is to do outreach and education on environmental issues. Mm -hmm. um, they will do a lot more of um, what you see as environmental activists, which would be like protests and um, more like public um, demonstrations and stuff when it's it's necessary to garner like media attention on a uh, environmental issue. We also do like community advocacy as well. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Then we have an administrative staff, which yeah. is what like under serve under me. We have an outreach team, a fundraising team that goes out and knocks door to door to door. So I'm, I'm, I feel like we come out to the Upper Marion area. So you maybe have seen our yes. canvassers once in a while. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I think that covers basically our staff. We talked a little bit about fundraising, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that's a big issue with the Clean Air Council. How does that coming about now? And do you have a number of people that are really knocking on doors, trying to get whatever you can get. Yes, so we, as I alluded to before, we're, I mean, we're doing really well. We've grown to a budget of $3 million. But I also said that um, we constantly have to, like every year when we put our budget together, we have to think of where we're gonna get our money from. Um, the largest chunks were coming from foundations and some of them are multi-year, so that's that gives us some stability. But again, like if we could, we really need, <laughs> uh, we really like to grow our public support the, from individual donors um, as much as possible. So yeah, our canvassers going out, that's a, um, a big part of it. We're actually hoping to also promote a lot of the giving that happens on our website, on our, our social media platforms, um, or people who are currently members, you'll get like an annual um, letter mm -hmm. asking for renewal. That really helps us a lot. Um, or people who do like, um, this is more, this is becoming fairly common in like um, nonprofit fundraising, but having monthly donors who just automatically maybe $10 or $20 yeah. come out. I that, see that on that really public us. television. That's the same thing that yes. you could pay on a monthly basis now instead of paying one lump sum. Yeah. As so I've noticed that a lot. So you, that's really the same way, I guess, the Clean Air Council is going. Yeah, you can think of us as um, your local NPR yes. or PBS, except we have no platform <laughs> where we can like, Oh, we're going to hold like a, you know, a telephone or something. So right. We're just one. relying on you seeing us in the news or maybe on a program like this and hearing about our great work and deciding, I really want to support the council. I want to become a member and, you know, providing funding for us because it really helps us. Yeah. So I guess we should distinguish there's a difference between a member and a volunteer. Yes. Because a lot of programs that we have here, there's always, they're always looking for people to volunteer. The Clean Air Council, they're really not looking for volunteers. They're looking for members to provide because most of the people that, oh, I should say most of your employees, all your employees are paid. They're not volunteer. 
yeah, our staff, like I said, about 40, it's all paid. Um, and because we've become large enough, we were able to like allow our staff to have careers in, in the environments by doing so. Um, but in terms of volunteers, we the only volunteers opportunities we usually have would be around our big events that we have, which I know we're, we'll talk later. Those are sort of like on specific days. But outside of that, we really we really rely on our, our financial support from our members. Um, but also, let me just say, like what you also can do besides support us financially is we have a lot of direct action that helps uh, us with our goals because often um, to make changes in the environment requires like policy changes, mm -hmm. which means communicating with our lawmakers, our legislators, and then we will we'll ask people to call the legislators, we'll ask people to sign petitions. So there's also actions that people can take in addition to supporting us financially that really help us. Yeah, you mentioned petitions and that was something that crossed my mind. Are a lot of them now electronic? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, so they'll get an email sent to them and they reply to that or how's that set up? Um, so this is, uh, my staff is younger and more technologically savvy, so I'm not exactly sure how it is. I think that um, we, with our um, electronic sort of activist platforms, um, you'll get an email and it'll, it'll, like you respond to it and it'll send you directly It'll make it so it's automated for you. It'll gotcha. figure out by your zip code, like who your lawmakers are, and you basically sign on to it or maybe make a few um, sort of edits to the comments and you send it off that way. But it's like a one-stop shop. You just do it, you know, you, you get to the link and you just send it out and it gets, the emails get uh, sent over to the lawmakers. And yeah, I ask you that because obviously we do have a lot of uh, senior citizens who might not, yes. they could be technologically challenged, as they say, that they're really not up to date with uh, applications and programs. How would they, would they get stuff via the U.S. mail? Um, so we do have a newsletter that we send oh. um, a few times a year. So they can, they could, they would get a paper copy that way and that could um, prompt them to take some actions. Um, a lot of our contact with the public is through our website. So uh, hopefully a lot of your members or your uh, viewers are able to go on the website and then there they can like, um, they don't necessarily have to go online. They, there are ways you can send letters to their oh. lawmakers. And we could provide uh, the language, you know, suggested language on what they should say. And also, you know, actually, we, we do like people calling and that, yes. that anybody can do that. And, um, you know, we can provide, again, the information that uh, you would rely on, like when you're making a phone call on behalf of the council for your, your, your lawmaker. And, and what's ironic, and I, I know you, you talked a little bit about the human resource issue. Most people that are working, like, say, with the Clean Air Council have a passion. Yes. Well, sometimes you're going against big corporate America, as yes. they say. Do they try plucking people to switch to the other side, obviously for monetary gain? Um, I don't know if it's if it works quite like that. It's more that they're just so large. Yes, right. <laughs> it's like so. I will say, like, we'll go back to litigation. On litigation side, when we're suing like a large company, large polluter, they just have. Our staff of like five or six attorneys compared to their army of attorneys right. that can really tie us up and kind of bleed our expenses dry. So it's really that that's <laughs> they definitely have an advantage. Plus, they yes. have like uh, their they have more advantage in terms of uh, reaching out to the public through advertising and through promoting. So, I, yeah, I don't know if they necessarily fight for our supporters. Right. But well, but there's no there, it's not a fair battlefield, I guess, what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Right. But, you know, we try not to. Again, there are certain industries that we are, we're definitely on opposite sides of. But in most cases, we are also working with corporations to try to get them to do the environmental thing and um, to, have, to 
have their employees come in and volunteer for us and become more educated about what they could do in their lives. So um, I don't necessarily necessarily see the Cleaner Council as anti-corporation, right. but I do see it as we're trying we're pro environment, we're pro uh, community health, um, and we're and we think that everybody, even if you work for a corporation um, or if you don't work for a corporation, you can do you can play a part in helping the environment and helping to clean our air. Yeah, that, that's what raised my curiosity is like if you're trying to educate some of these corporations sure. that you're fighting with is. I, is there did I, does everything come to a common ground or is there friction between the two because monetary gain also comes into play at the expense of the environment as we know yeah there um, there are definitely ways we we there, there are definitely in depends on the industry of course mm-hmm. um, right now we'll just I'll just point out like natural gas is a campaign that we're heavily working on um, yeah it's very hard for our interests <laughs> to be aligned with like a natural gas company's interest right. that is trying to you know, do more drilling, more fracking, which we see as has environmental harms. But let's let's talk about a different industry. Um, you know, maybe like a, I think we like a Comcast cable or something. Where, yes. Um, we we talk about energy efficiency, that has environmental implications for us because if you use less energy, and by the way, so the largest source of largest source of pollution in our area is either coming from transportation or from the use of power plants like um, or refineries for energy production. So if we can get a company, a large company with a lot of a lot of staff on it to use less energy that helps us environmentally and also helps them economically because they save on their own costs. So it's a win-win. We, we could always use more funding. Um, it is heavily supported by corporate sponsorships, which we're trying to work on um, as well. We would like to expand it. Our, 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 ideally, um, you know that uh, I think I mentioned before that 20 25% of our funding is coming from I call them like self self generated revenue mm-hmm. through people going out door to door or through our events so people are directly giving to us I'd like to see that closer to 50% so we can rely that rely on that more when maybe certain like private foundations perhaps decide to give us you know less money um, or there's issues with our government contracts or like that those can dry up but if our our members who keep coming back for us, that's 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 our sustaining support for us. That's what we can always rely on. And I, I'd like to see that to be a larger become a larger share of our revenue. Well, I know you mentioned in the last segment some of the large corporations that you've been working with, and one that you mentioned specifically was Comcast, and they yes. are doing some. So your message is coming across because they're using they're cutting down the carbon imprint yeah. with driving, and they're doing that with a shuttle service. Yes. And have you found that to be very beneficial? I think um, anything anyone can do to um, not drive alone in like a car helps the environment. It's just all about efficiency. The more, you know, the, the cleanest mile that you can ever drive is the one that you're not driving at all. Like if you can walk, which I do a lot of. I, I, I don't actually own a car. I walk and I bike or use SEPT everywhere. Um, I actually, when I try to, when I explain the, the, the issue of transportation, I kind of consider it like a pyramid. And at the, um, at the very top, the cleanest would be to not drive at all. Okay. But the second level would be to like use, um, you know, like mass transit, try to get more people in. And that's where a shuttle service, such as what Com- you mentioned Comcast providing, or what SEPTA provides as a public um, transportation authority. Um, I know that um, there's also the residential, is it the residential Rambler? It yes. also goes around. I remember that was really something my mom got excited yes. about uh, when I was growing up. But those kinds of things really help because if you can get people out of, Driving by themselves in a car that really saves on, reduces the emissions. And transportation, as I mentioned before, is a big source of emissions 
in the area. So if we can do what we can not to drive by ourselves. And I, if I can put in a plug, one of the big programs we have right now is called Go Philly Go. I believe if you go gophillygo.org, that's the website, mm -hmm. it is a mapping tool that shows you how to get from one location, like from where you are to the location that you want to get to. Um, it's kind of like, you know, um, Google Maps, except when it lays out the route for you, it tells you how to get there using public transportation or using bike routes or using some combination of the two so that you can get there in the most environmentally, um, the cleanest way possible. So that, that is a big program. I know we just launched um, an app on uh, GoFillyGo as an app for the Android so that people, if they're interested, they can search for that, I think, on your favorite app store and, and look up GoFillyGo. But yeah, that's, well, that's something we're doing. you do live by the, <laughs> the, the, the guidelines because, as you were saying, you do not own a car. And it's safe to say you can get anywhere in the Delaware Valley yes. on public transportation. Yeah, I, I, I really like SEPTA. Um, I, I really enjoy the benefits of SEPTA. Um, and because it's so expansive in the region, um, and because I am also willing, you know, people ask me, like, how can you get places on public transportation? You do have to follow a schedule. You do have to deal with, um, you know, SEPTA having to have multiple stops and, or numerous stops, having to deal with traffic. So I always say, like, you have to be willing to be patient. And I am. <laughs> and I'm also willing to walk the extra, you know, mile or so to get to my destinations. But, yeah, I try to, I try to practice what I preach, which is to be more environmental. And that is fantastic. Well, as we wind down the program, sure. I guess the social media is a big factor in getting the word out. Um, the different platforms, Facebook, Instagram, are there, is there anything else that we might be missing for someone watching this program that wants to, that would like to reach out and become a member? Yeah, I would say to get our current news, you really should go on to our Facebook platform and our, our Twitter accounts. I think in both cases, you always you just type in Clean Air Council. That is our Facebook page name and our Clean Air Council Twitter accounts. We also have Instagram as well. Um, then we do have a website, which is www.cleanair.org, which you can find more um, general news. We, we sometimes put a blog post there. I think the most current stuff that's going on, you'll want to go to our social media platform. But on our website, you can become a member. You can donate to us. And like I said, we really, really rely on um, donations. And we really like to see more of that from our, our members and our supporters. Well, I do commend you because you do practice what you preach, thank and I'd you. like to thank you for being a guest here on Community Connections. Thank you so much. Eric Chung, he is the Deputy Director of the Clean Air Council. We'd like to thank him and thank the Council for being a part of Community Connections. From all of us here at UMGA Television, I'm Chuck Curlin. Thank you for watching. <laughs>